Welcome to episode 137. Today, we're excited to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Bob Weitzel, as we talk about what's next for the church moving forward, whether it's a new model of online engagement or a next step toward racial reconciliation. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 137, The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How you doing, Jesse? Well, hanging in there, Jason. I know it's a trying, kind of stressful time for everybody as we're trying to navigate through just the convergence of all kinds of stuff right now and, and wanting to be really faithful leaders focused on the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of the real things that are going on in our world. So, you know, leadership is is a challenge right now. Uh, and uh, that's that's why we're doing this podcast together. That's why you and I talk every week, because we want to be a support and encouragement to each other to lead well in the midst of whatever's going on in, uh, in around us. So uh, glad to be in the conversation with you today. And we're diving in uh, this today's episode with one of our uh, frequent guests and a good friend of yours. So tell us where we're we going today. Yeah, so we have Dr. Bob Weitzel joining us again on the podcast, which is great because he's always a wealth of information. uh, And and I feel like he just, he provides so much content. And uh, today is no exception in our conversation with him. And we cover a lot of ground. And it's really around one idea, which is what's next? What's next for the church? What should we as pastors be thinking about? What should we be moving toward? And uh, he spent some time talking about kind of this the new kind of hybrid model of the church, which is something that we've talked a bit about. And also, and this is really important, so I want to encourage anybody just make hang on toward the end of the conversation when we start talking about um, the current cultural moment and addressing racial reconciliation uh, and modeling that in the life of our church and what are some things that we can start doing. I think he's got some great insights on that. And so we're talking about what's next today. Yeah, and uh, glad that Bob's joining us. And so um, without uh, any further introduction, let's get into our conversation with Dr. Bob Weitzel. Well, hey, everyone. We are excited to welcome back to the podcast a good friend and our most often interviewed guest. I mean, uh, he's he's up there in the upper echelon of the Reclaim Leader podcast. So we welcome back Dr. Bob Weitzel. And if you don't know who he is, uh, if you ha- haven't heard him on our podcast before, haven't uh, run into him, um, you've probably seen his articles everywhere. He is uh, a prolific and very good writer, an educator, and a church consultant. And the church consultant under whom I studied to be a church consultant and have learned so much from. And so we are excited to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Bob White. So welcome. Good to be here again with you. I was here, I think, for your very first show. You were, you were number one, always number one in our hearts. This is, you're you're doing great. How many uh, episodes has this been? This will be episode 137. 137. Wow. Well, thank you for having me back again. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And especially as we are, I mean, my goodness, none of us could have imagined 2020 would be what it is. And 
I know pastors have been under so much pressure, pressure and stress. And the last time I saw you was just a couple months ago it was right before this whole thing unleashed. And we were doing a, a consult together. And it's like the, the entire world changed since I last saw you. It's it did. It's incredible. How has consult? I mean, is consulting really changed a lot in that in that window? Imagine actually, you're not traveling. Actually, I'm busier than ever. Oh my uh, goodness! You know, I think what happens is everybody steps back and they say two things. One is the world's changing. We've got to adapt ministry. We want to adapt our methodology. We don't want to change our theology. So they look to me as a practical theologian, a consultant. How can we, at this time, fine-tune? So I've been dealing with clients, and I've had more uh, interest from new clients than ever during this pandemic. The second part of it is people are saying, what is it going to be like in the future? How am I going to, uh, how are we going to do church? What is this going to mean to the church? So as you know, part of my work, because we first met Jason when you were one of my doctoral students at Fuller Seminary. And even then, I was looking at it saying, I'm trying to project out what the church is going to be like three, five, 10, 15 years ahead. And now with this pandemic, uh, I've been able to project out. I see some things that are going to be very good for the church. Other things are going to hurt some churches unless they prepare. And so that's what I've been doing, been writing articles. In fact, I, I just finished off a ninth article, which will be published in the past two months, nine articles in two months on this whole quarantine and what we have to do on the other side, I'm calling it rebound and renew. We need to rebound. Churches want to rebound and they want to renew into not what they were before, something yeah. better, something more effective. And yeah. that's what led me to this article that uh, we're going to talk about today. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're diving into that, Bob, because for me, I, our leadership team, we're kind of asking this question. So what happens now? Yeah. What well, What is going to happen now? What's going to happen next? What are we going to do next? And we, it, there's a giant question mark. We're, we're doing a lot of things that I think are working well, and it's exciting in some ways, scary in some ways, and, uh, but it's a big question mark. So I'm glad you're with us to share some insight because uh, I'm sure our team will love to hear what you have to say. Well, first, let me say where we're headed. And I wrote an article called The E-Reformation, uh, The Electronic Reformation. We had a reformation in the 1500s that was brought about by the printing press because that was new technology that put the gospel in the hands of the average person, totally revolutionized the world, changed the church forever. Churches that embraced that new technology, but held strong to an orthodox theology, they flourished. But ones that pushed away that technology, didn't want anything to do with it, they died. And the same thing is happening today. I call it an e-reformation, an electronic reformation. The way the printing press changed everything, now the internet electronically has changed. So churches uh, many of my clients, colleagues, they said, oh, we don't want to go online. We're not going to do online. Boom. Now they had to do it. And so now they're realizing that they have to be online. So the future is going to be a hybrid church in which we're involved in electronic pastoring and leading, as well as face-to-face pastoring and leading the same way that with the birth of the printing press, you had the rise of book publishing. And from the 1500s to recently, it was book people who wrote books who influenced people because of the printing press. I think for the next 500 years, or whoever knows how many years, at least during our lifetime, <laughs> yeah. it'll be electronic mediums that will influence people and will share the good news through. 
I, I think that, I mean, that is so right on. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about how it seems like the church is just catching up to how, ever, how we live the rest of our lives, right? We, we have a hybrid model of a lot of different parts of life. If I sign my kids up for rec sports, I do it online. I find out where they practice online. I make the payment online. I show up to a physical experience, but, it, but it's seamless between the two. And it feels like church is kind of catching up to how everybody's living their life anyway. Yeah, if the church doesn't catch up, uh, they're going. Uh, some churches are going to die. And yeah. I wrote the first article I wrote on this was eight types of churches that will survive and, and eight that won't. And the ones that won't are the ones that hand, hang on to the old way of sharing the good news. Now, let me say, I don't want anybody to change their theology. I'm a very orthodox person. I believe we need to hold on to a firm orthodox theology. But you do want to change your methodology. And we see that in the New Testament. So as a practical theologian, I love studying people like Paul. And so as I began to help friends and colleagues, and I had magazines write, asking me to write articles for them, I thought, and, and one person said to me, a, a leader of a national church, he said to me, he said, Bob, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about how to lead over the internet. How do you lead, you know, when you're, when you're remotely? And I was thinking, yes, it does. The whole book of Acts, the story of Paul, the Pauline epistles, which somewhere between seven and thirteen of the of the New Testament books, those the things that Paul wrote were written remotely, leading churches he helped start or help build remotely, either from prison or from Antioch or from Jerusalem, and we can look at his letters. And so I've always been a big fan of of, of Paul. And so I've, I've enjoyed reading Ritter Boss's book on, on Paul, probably one of the most extensive theolo theologians, uh, theological uh, you know, analyses of Paul. And I really noticed that Paul does some kind of interesting things to lead when he knows he's not going to be there in, in, in person. He was there once in person, but he's not going to be back for a while. And his letters, he does some interesting things to lead them while he's not nearby. And I thought that's a good example. We can look from those days. So I found 11 things that Paul does to lead remotely. And I wrote this article called uh, St. Paul's Guide to Leading Remotely. Yeah, that's great. I, I think, um, do you still see churches and pastors? They're like, well, this whole thing's going to pass. So we only have to do this online thing as long as we have to. And then we're going to get back to the same old way. Do you actually see, are you hearing that from people? To me, that seems so unthinkable to even consider that, but I, I'm sure there are pastors out there who are, have that sentiment. Yeah. You know, some people would like to kind of keep things the way they are and you can do that. You can have a church with a total face-to-face -face expression as all you do, but it's going to li limit your reach. It's going to limit the people that you are able to share the good news with. There's so many people that are sharing the good news. One of my students up in Canada, uh, a school up there, I was teaching uh, a course, and uh, her and her husband said, we're starting a church on Twitch. And I'm going to, you know, what is Twitch? And she said, it's this online gaming platform. We have a church on this online gaming platform. Now, I don't know a lot about that, but I've watched my, my grandsons and granddaughters play on these online. That's a whole world. So... We want to not give or change or compromise our, our, our gospel or our uh, lifestyle 
but we want to reach into these new mediums. So uh, I'm not saying churches have to have an online gaming service, but they do need to use the internet to communicate with people who are maybe homebound, who can't get to church. People are traveling. They still want to hear what's going on at your church, but they can't be there for that Sunday and they want to keep abreast of what's going on. They want the community without being tied down to physically being in that same space with you. So the more churches can embrace electronic communication without changing their theologies, and the more you can change your methodology, the more you're going to connect and disciple people. And that's what we're called to do in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. Make learners, make disciples. More, you're going to be able to do that better if you embrace electronic mediums as well as face-to-face mediums. Yeah, that's good stuff. I think Jason and you and I have talked a little bit about this, but you know, in seminary, I mean, we talk about how some seminary prepared us for some things and not other things, and uh, leadership and organizational leadership is maybe a missing piece sometimes in our in our uh, studies. But I knew I didn't get to go to broadcasting school or learn how to do <laughs> like nobody taught me how to build you know a, a dynamic web experience and um, all those kinds of things. So I do think there's there is a pretty good learning curve. And being kind of a DIYer by nature as a, as a leader, that's, I, I've kind of found this to be kind of an overwhelming time. And Jason and I, we, we've talked about this a lot, how we need to reach out to the experts in our congregation or maybe in our community or other church leaders we see doing it, doing this online ministry the way that it can be a good example for us or just helping us get there. So I think that can maybe be a roadblock for some is I just don't have that skill set. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know. I, I, have but, you come across that out there? Yeah, but they have the people in their congregation that do have that skill set. And if they don't have in their congregation, they've got grandkids that have that. So one of the great things about this, it's reaching a whole nother population. People who have grown up electronically learning, they can begin to engage and you can engage them in your church. Say, hey, help us put together a website. Help us put together an online worship service. This, this pandemic has, has been horrible and it's, it's created great inequalities uh, in, 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 in between people and, and barriers. But there is a silver lining in that it's gotten churches to utilize the people within their congregations that know how to stream video services. And now these people are very valuable and are being utilized. Uh, I was blessed. I know, Jason, you same uh, by going to Fuller Seminary because Fuller Seminary was founded by an evangelist, Charles Fuller, who used the radio to reach out. And that was controversial back in those days because the radio was used for playing that rock and roll music and playing that (laughs) country music. And he used it to reach out. And he wanted a seminary where there would be openness to new mediums of reaching out. Because he got cri- he got criticism for using the radio. That was considered the devil's medium. And then, uh, uh, you know, um, Billy Graham kind of followed in his footsteps and used TV. And Billy Graham used movies. So all of these mediums. And now the latest is the Internet. So I encourage churches, my friends, colleagues, clients, even if they're small little churches, rural churches, begin to reach out electronically. I have one of my former students in Alaska, and uh, I enjoy listening to his service now. He's on every Sunday, and and I sometimes listen to him more than I listen to anybody else, maybe except Jason or Jesse. <laughs> right, but right, I, right. Because <laughs> I can now listen to him, and I relate to him, and I connect with him. So like one of those students you really connect with, I can connect with him and, and, and participate in his church 
from from this far away. Now, to be honest, he was the pastor, associate pastor at the church I used to attend, the Wesleyan church I used to attend, and he kind of led the service there. Now I can continue to to have him lead me in scripture, even though he's in Alaska. So it's um, a great opportunity. But you know, I, when I wrote this thing on St. Paul, St. Paul's Guide, you know, I found that Paul did some things that people were kind of forgetting today. And one thing, you know, as you read the epistles of Paul, you'll notice that he always started out with a personal connection. He always said, I know, Timothy, you know, your mother and your grandmother. And he would always recount these personal histories. Because you know something? Paul realized that because he wasn't present, it was easy to get disconnected and not feel personable. And that's the thing we forget today. When we go on a video, when we go, uh, we talk to a person on email, I try and write something a little personable. Hey, how are your kids doing, Jason? And I bet, you know, you're doing, I try and write something a little personal because when I'm not there in presence, I have to create that personal connection first. And Paul would do that either at the beginning or like at the end in Romans, at the end, he would do that in Romans 16 or at the beginning in Philippians 1. He would talk about his personal relationship. So that was one of the the 11 things I saw that Paul does. He would bring a personal memory into the connection so that even though the connection was far away, because many of these letters Paul was writing from Antioch or prison or Jerusalem, separated by hundreds of miles, and he would start with these personal stories. So I always tell pastors, start with personal stories about the people you're connecting with. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as you're talking about, this is part of the solution or part of the answer to what's next for churches is a more hybrid model of online and physical uh, presence or physical ministry. And just a reminder that the challenge of the online world is that it can become sort of cold or impersonal. And I think that's an excellent reminder that, um, you can have real relationship and real interaction. I mean, we've been doing this podcast, 137 episodes, and we're able to do it because you can make those connections. But there has to be something personal, not just about posting content that is somehow uh, sort of detached, but posting content that is connect- connectional uh, with the people who you're trying to reach. Yeah. And Paul used a lot of those, uh, th- those tips when he was connecting with, you know, Paul had times when he had to correct people in his letters. He had to correct congregations like we see that in First Corinthians. And when he does, he always talks about a family relationship. So I tell pastors today, when you're connecting with people through the Internet, through your presentation of your 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 sermon, um, connect with people like a family member. You know, Paul in First Corinthians, he said, I'm not I have a message Bible reading it now. He says, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. He starts out by saying, hey, I'm just not trying to be harsh here in this written word leading remotely, but I'm writing as a person with a family connection to you. And so I tell pastors, I say, even though you're electronic, don't, don't, don't make the electronic medium seem like it's even there. Don't say, well, we're trying to get this working today and the sound's not quite right. And once we get this figured out, no, come in there and say, hey, you know, we're a family. And I love you all. And like a father who loves his children, I love this congregation. 
And I love when you did this. And I love when we do that. And so Paul brought in this family image and uh, to this, this remote learning, so uh, remote teaching. So one of the things I've taught as, an, as a professor for, for 24 years, and many of those years I taught online as well on site, and I would train in new faculty members, and I would say, talk to your students like a brother, an older brother, helping them, and talk about them, and use that term, like I'm here as an older brother to help you along. Use a family metaphor to make a connection, because when you lead remotely, it's often easy for it to be cut and dried. You know, Paul saw through that by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit he saw through the, the, the disconnectedness, and he created a relationship-based communication. And it's great to look at that in his books. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about, um, you know, this whole question of what's next for the church as we enter this season— what are some other ways do you think the dynamic between online and physical will be intersecting? I mean, it, it, are there some things that you think will be, I mean, obviously we sort of have to rethink our methods, right? As you said, yeah, we have to rethink our strategies. Are there some kind of th- things that have bubbled to the surface as, as you've been thinking on this and looking at what's going on in churches? Yeah, a lot of things. First of all, there's there online worship is is going to be more and more important. This this the pandemic and the fear of viral infections is not going to go away. It's going to yeah. continue and it's going to continue in waves. And churches that aren't prepared for that, if there's another wave, they're going to deep to go down even deeper and not survive. So we want to have a robust not just preaching. I tell pastors, I said, it's the word and worship. It's not the word or worship. You want to have a worship experience. Now, worship, the Hebrew word worship means come close to God's feet and kiss his feet. So you got to feel that you're that close to God in the worship experience. So it's not a performance, but it's an experience where people feel, I was watching that and I felt I was right there with them. And I felt like I was experiencing it uh, and I was experiencing God right there with me. And so that's the thing you want to encourage your worship teams to create. Don't create, um, you know, don't try and create a church service. Don't say, okay, we're going to do five songs and offering and a sermon. No, create an experience where it's, it's God as close to you as you kissing his feet. I would often call it face to foot closeness. That's how close you feel to God in that expression. Then in your sermon. You want to look at your sermon. I encourage pastors to record your sermon beforehand. I know a lot of pastors like to do live streaming, but when you do it beforehand, you can add uh, graphics, you can fix things, you can make it clearer. And so by doing it beforehand, uh, people can uh, better connect with it. You can tweak it. And so I think that's going to be a big part of it. A second part of it, though, Jesse and Jason, I really believe it's going to be online small groups. And that's where people will connect with each other online. The biggest detriment to small groups, I'm a big fan of small groups, and I interview people about them. The biggest drawback, people tell me, is they don't have time. And I say, well, you don't have an hour? And they say, hey, it's not an hour. It's like three to four hours because I've got to find a sitter. I've got to get home from work. I've got to get in my car. I've got to drive there. I've got to chit-chat with people. And then finally, we get down to the, the real essence of it. With online, you can do all that stuff at home, sit down at your computer, pull up 
seven or eight or 10 or 12 of your friends and share your heart. And so online small groups uh, can be done by any church. And it doesn't require a building. It doesn't require Sunday school area. It doesn't require a seat. doesn't require refreshments. It doesn't require childcare. You can do it. So churches that are embracing online small groups are going to be key. Another key area is online sharing the good news. People want to know what Jesus stands for. Today, there are so many people out there trying to politicize the good news. And it's above politics. It's beyond politics. And we should be engaging people in discussion. You as a pastor, you as a leader, you as a Sunday school leader, you as a church leader, you can talk to people online, discuss their questions, do a book study, do a, a, find a book study that, that would, they would be interested in and do it online. But evangelism, sharing the good news, sharing the plan of salvation online is, uh, is, is very powerful. I really believe it's as powerful a medium as the radio was back in the 19, early 1900s with Charles Fuller used, and r- movies and TV wa- was in the 1950s and 60s that Billy Graham used. Today, it's the internet. So are you going to be the Charles Fuller, the Billy Graham type of ministry in this new electronic e-reformation or not? And every pastor has the potential to reach out. Let me say one final thing, then ask some questions here, is that pastors often say, well, I don't have the facilities. We're located in a small town. No longer is location or geography going to hold a ministry back. You can connect with people around the world and share with them your faith through an electronic medium. So this is the great opportunity that I've seen in all of Christendom for people to connect from wherever they are more robustly to people all around the world. It's exciting days. It is. Um, I think, I think too, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm nodding my head with, with everything. I, I feel like, you know, you're spot on. And then the second thought that comes to my head is why, why aren't all pastors embracing this? And I think a lot of it just simply has to do with fear, fear of not being good enough. Fear, sort of like the imposter syndrome, right? Who am I to get on, you know, Facebook Live and do a message or, you know, stream a service or pre- like fear of, it's kind of that same fear when Jesse and I were in preaching class with Dr. LaRue and we knew that he would put us right on the spot anytime you had to be paying attention constantly. <laughs> but it, it it was that same sort of like, Oh man, you know what if what if I get on there and somebody just kind of rips me apart? Or because social media is tough. Social media is oh, real man. tough. I mean, my goodness. Uh, social what, media. Yeah. Well, social media. You know, people uh, as pastors, we don't like criticism, but that is actually part and parcel with the profession. And I see this again in Paul. Look at Paul. He was constantly. Paul gets. Has his conversion on the road to Damascus, go uh, goes to Damascus, streets off. Ananias comes, prays over him, and Paul says later, the first thing that happened to me in Damascus, they tried to kill me. I mean, this is you know, welcome to your new life, brother. You know, they're going to try to kill you. The trolls have always been around, 
It's just, it's it, it just, they probably don't use the, 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 they don't use spears as much anymore, but, or stones <laughs> as much anymore, but they've always been around. So that is part and parcel. I used to tell my seminary students that is, if you aren't ready for persecution, then you shouldn't be a pastor because it's literally, you're the person carrying the banner out at the front of the charging army and the other army is trying to knock you off first. So it's, it's part and parcel. Number two is a pastor says, well, I'm not good enough. You know, God is the one who's good. He's the one that empowers you. He's the one that's prepared you. When he gave, when Jesus gave his great commission, he starts off by saying, all power and authority has been given unto me. He's saying, I have the power of the universe now to empower you through the Holy Spirit. So don't worry about that. There's also a practical side to it, is that when you're on the internet, you could be broadcasting and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of people could, could check you out and maybe a couple hundred stick around. Well, when you're in a church building, you go, there's, you're lucky if a couple hundred show up and then if only 10 people resonate. So the law of, of, of percentages says that when you're online, you're going to have more people connecting with you than if you're just in a little auditorium with 100 people. So it's actually increase the, increasing your reach. And while you may not connect with everyone, your style might connect with some, and it will connect with more electronically. Yeah. But maybe it's good that we're all pushed to be better, you know? I mean, because the answer isn't just having something online, right? Because if something online is like this totally disconnected, not speaking the language of the people version of church, it only kind of magnifies our irrelevance, right? Um I, but it's, it's a gospel sharing tool. And if it, if we have to work harder to be better, maybe that's a really good thing for our church. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to force us to embrace electronic communication and we need to do that. We need to do that with the skill that the secular world is doing that. I remember when I, I went to Fuller Seminary and I was researching the background of it and Charles Fuller said, he said that he wanted to start a seminary that was to seminaries what Caltech was to graduate schools. And California Techn- uh, School of Technology is there in Pasadena. And that's what Fuller was. It brought together all the best minds. And I thought, that's what we need to do today electronically, bring together all the best minds and talk about how can we uh, reach out as the church and make a greater global impact electronically. So I tell pastors, I say, it's the future. It's the future of your profession. If you don't do it, you will be sidelined. You'll be marginalized. You might be able to survive in a little small enclave, a dwindling group of, of, of people. But as we saw in the Reformation, those uh, churches that didn't accept the printing press and, and books and the Bible and the language of the people that tried to keep the Bible out of the language of the people, those were the churches that became marginalized. And so we want to Im- Im- embrace this. But, you know, one of the keys is, is that just look at Paul, because Paul, he, he pastored his, his entire life. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament, uh, up to probably about 13. And yet he spent most of his time not with those churches. Yet they all just hung on the, each word of his letter, because it was done in such a way that was very courageous. You know, the other thing I, I like about what Paul always did, he always prayed for him. And he was thankful and prayerful for those people, even when they weren't uh, very kind or 
uh, or they weren't listening to his admonition, such as Corinthians. He still always ended his his thing by saying how he was thankful for them and praying for them. You know, he he treated this long distance relationship as a family relationship, as a relationship with a family member who is away and uh, serving overseas or something, and they still the letter connects with them on a personal family type of fatherly brotherly relationship and we can do that electronically we have to thrive to do it because it's going to be more and more of the future and the churches that don't will be sidelined marginalized and they won't be able to afford to stay open to pay their pastors to keep going and so the risk like you said uh, Jason of not being good at it um, you never know. You might not be good at it. You think good at it, but some people out there might think you're you're good at it. So that there's so many people be, can be listening in. Some will connect with what you're saying. So get out there electronically and share the good news and don't let anything stop you. It's good stuff, Bob. I love it. Bob, do you think this is going to change? You know, I can't help but think this may change, and maybe you're seeing this already, in staffing models uh, in churches yeah. and, and also, um, gathering models that are so dependent on the building. Yeah. You know, a lot of us churches who've been around a long time, we have older buildings that require a lot of work. And what are you seeing in regards, or maybe you're not seeing it yet, but you're hearing it talked about a lot, you know, with staffing and buildings. Yeah. Well, the new model of planting churches is not focused on buildings. It's focused without buildings. So cafe churches, pub churches, churches that meet in homes. These are the new things. George Barna, I just look at some research. He was saying that 35, by 2025, 35% of the churches will be home ch- house churches. So these are churches meeting in houses with very little overhead. This is what the younger generation is realizing is the Achilles heel of their parents' church was the yeah. facilities and the expense of the facilities. And as you know, Jason, you're working with me in a couple of consultations. Jason, uh, by the way, Jess, I don't know if you know this, but he, he, he serves as a missional c- coach. He trains with me by shadowing me in my consultations for a year. And in the consultations we're working with this year, uh, three of them, three of the major consultations, uh, they were all struggling with facilities that were, were an Achilles heel. And so, and there's little you can do because not a lot of people want to buy churches and you not, don't necessarily want to sell them either. So it's forcing us to be more versatile for being more flexible. Uh, and so uh, being more liquid, more, you know, movable in the places we meet. And so this is a great thing to think about is how can we take churches that maybe have a big building and how can we leverage that building to use it financially in other ways, maybe with a school or maybe with some things that the community needs, community centers, and begin to take church back into smaller environments with lower overhead. So that's going to be a real key. Now, staffing, one thing on staffing I'm seeing is that they're they're putting more money into people who deal with communications in the church. And this is not just the sound crew, but it's the people who are in charge of social media communication, people who are in charge of making the videos look good with with right words and the sign and editing it. These are really, they're the people that package your presentation to make it understandable to those who watch. 
and those who listen. So they are becoming a bigger element. And one area that's not quite as big is, 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 the, is the money spent on, on the music department. The music, which a lot of times is very live, uh, now is probably not getting as much support. You're not spending money on big lighting systems, big sound systems. Uh, I've always questioned whether you need all of that lights uh, for a, a presentation. The money is going to support people who take what we're doing and make it understandable and clear electronically through an electronic medium. So we're putting more money into electronic mediums. We're putting less money into fiscal overhead of facilities. And in the future, facilities are waning in importance and clear communication is increasing in importance. So the electronic people who assist us are becoming more important. Wow. That's a lot of moving pieces as you know, and some of that is, you know, work that we've all kind of been chipping away at, chipping away at over the years. Yeah, chip away. Yeah. And, and, and this moment in time, this sort of what we're calling this virtual uh, moment is kind of forced all of our hand to, and all the gaps that, you know, things that we had good intentions about and we knew the importance of online and we were moving that way in some respects, we were all forced to jump on board. And so uh, sink or swim and adapt in real time is kind of what what we've been faced with. Right. And it, this is really a good thing. If we look at it, it's forcing the church to uh, adopt electronic mediums, which we've been hesitant to all along. I taught for a university that was one of the early universities, early adopters to use uh, online education. And I didn't really like online teaching. I was primarily a face-to-face professor. But when I saw how many more students could connect with my, my content by doing it online. So actually what I've done now that I've uh, you know, retired from teaching after 24 years, uh, I've, go- I've continued going back to my, my main thing I've always done is coaching and consulting churches, but I've added to it online courses. So now my clients, when they hire me as a consultant, I'll say, okay, here's a course that you, your people can take at their leisure. But before I come for my seminar, they can take this one hour, four 15 minute lecture course, and they will get the content that I typically would have come and shared personally at your clinic. So what it does, it makes my clinics shorter because I don't have to come and spend a whole hour talking about the basics of church growth or the basics of church leadership or the basics of church change they can watch that in a video at their leisure. So uh, electronic com- uh, teaching uh, expands the number of, of people that you can reach. So typically when I would come to a client church, maybe 100 people would gather for my clinic weekend and my presentation, and I'd spend the first hour talking about what is the four principles of a ch- healthy church growth. And now I can have I have over 200 people enrolled in that course, more people are enrolled learning about it before the meeting. So electronically, people can, uh, pastors can, if they want to do an in-depth teaching, they can do an in-depth teaching on Romans, or they can do an in-depth topical teaching and videotape it, let the people in their Bible study group watch it beforehand, then gather together and discuss it. And it spends less time going through the basics they can do that at their leisure. So that's what I do is something called churchleadership.university. And people go there, they can find the courses. 
and uh, they can you know they can study what people pay you know thousands of dollars to hear me you know speak at a at a at a seminary like Fuller Seminary in the doctoral program they can they can hear it for you know very small amount online and they have lifetime access to those to those teachings so electronically is really getting and spreading it out there and it's making us more efficient and that's the best thing about it more efficient and more effective yeah i i was even just thinking about church meetings um I would much rather continue with Zoom meetings. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's like instead of having to go physically come back to the church and it seems like we're way more efficient online. Yes, you do. You do lose something not being in the room all the time. But I think, again, a hybrid model going forward, I think, is going to do us all well. I, I didn't want to not ask this, Bob, because I know you've done a lot of work with churches in this and, you know, kind of multi-ethnic, multi-racial churches or, mm. or dealing with churches with um, significant racial tension and ethnic tension and thinking about how do you, how do you enter a process of reconciliation? Uh, I'm not looking for any one answer on this, but obviously we're in a significant cultural moment in our country. And I don't think we could have a conversation about what's next for the church without thinking about um, What's next pertaining to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the protests over George Floyd's death, the uh, the important call for change uh, in the justice system in America, all things that I think just about all of us would agree uh, have to be addressed. And we're definitely it feels like we're at a tipping point where it's like we can't. We can't not address them anymore. We, we can't ignore these divides anymore. And I, I remember you talking about this um, with, with client churches and talking about, you know, and starting new services with different ethnicities or, or reaching out to a different culture other than the kind of um, existing culture at the church. What are some of the things you, you think? And, and I understand this. You have like a full plan. Like this is exactly what you have to do. But what are some ideas to get pastors like me moving in a direction where my church is almost completely white and, you know, we have some relationship with black churches and uh, Hispanic churches and other churches in our area, but, but we don't do a lot together. It seems like we need more together right yeah. now. And what are some things we ought to be thinking about? Yeah, actually, I have. <laughs> interesting you say that. Actually, I have seven things you can do in an article <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that was just published a couple of weeks ago in biblicalleadership.com, uh, biblicalleadership.com, Biblical Leadership Magazine. And basically what it's called, it's, it's uh, the article, I titled it, um, The Most Important Thing Churches Aren't Doing As They Prepare to Reopen. And what yeah. we're not doing is we're not talking about reconciling people who are different. You know, Paul talks about giving us the ministry. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but he means ministry of reconciliation between God and humans and between humans and each other. Because Paul was here, he was reaching out to the Gentiles. These were the persecutors of the Jews. I mean, the Jews had a lot of qualms about reaching out to the Gentiles. These were their oppressors. These were the Nazis of their day. And they're reaching out to them and seeing them get, get saved. And so Paul talks about reconciliation as ministry of reconciliation church is supposed to bring divergent groups together and bring us who are estranged from God back to God. It's a dual 
reconciliation. Now, most people fear that if we talk about human reconciliation, we will forget spiritual reconciliation. But Paul didn't see that. He saw it all as part of the same process. And so I had seven things to do. One, learn about the outsider. Learn about the people who are different to you. Number two, learn to judge not by appearance. We typically stereotype people. We look at them, we say, oh, they're this type of person because of the way their hair looks. Jason, he always has his hair kind of done with that, that young person kind of spiky t- mess. And I, I, I got to do something. I got the video of him right now. I'm watching him. He's, <laughs> you know, he's got his plaid shirt on. It's easy not to say, hey, hipster, young Presbyterian pastor. And, uh, and he's much more than that. And But judging by appearance is the second thing. Third is we have to learn about the ministry of reconciliation. Study the Bible. Study the reconciliation that went on at the Council of Jerusalem. I mean, these are Jewish Christians who are reaching out to their oppressors, the ones that have crucified them, have burned them on stakes, have killed them, and they are their oppressors are now getting saved. And then you need to have regular unity expressions where you unify. Right now, we're seeing a lot of that with people going out and kneeling, but but that is not enough because if you're not learning about reconciliation first, you're just doing this as an action, and you, you, you don't understand that Christ calls us to love the people who formerly hurt us. And then one really important thing I say, now this is controversial, reevaluate where you spend your money is that churches spend a lot of their money upon their upper middle class church and nearby there can be struggling urban churches that they give up, don't give hardly anything to. And as a consultant, I've been in circumstances where I'm consulting for a, uh, an urban church and one church was struggling just to fix its boiler and to fix its roof. I think it needed like 10,000 for each, $20,000, and they were going to have to close. And I had another church just about a half mile away that I was consulting for, and they were talking to me about how they needed to improve their sound system, and they were going to spend $300,000 for the sound system. And I went to them and I said, what if you took and tithed off that $300,000 and gave $30,000 to the other church? And the pastor and leader, yeah, we'd be glad to. But the, but the uh, some other members of the church said, oh, we can't do that. They they need to take care of themselves. No, no, no. You've been blessed by advantages that the other church in that urban area never had. The people in that area, urban area, never had what you had, you know, a half mile away. We should be sharing the money. So uh, I've, uh, I've encouraged churches to reconsider how you spend your money. And then number six, pray to recognize your own personal preferences. Pray to recognize how you have benefited from either the way you looked or the place you grew up or your accent or people who surrounded you when you grew up. And then finally, expect for people to be spiritually transformed. Expect for people to change, for you to change, for others to change, for God is in the change business. I like what Paul says. He says, the old life is gone. A new life begins. Look at this. So we want to be a place where people are changing their inward focus of their congregation and they're seeing that people who are different than them need just as much to share in what they've been blessed with so we need to become a more generous uh a more generous people uh, more generous churches if we're going to overcome this and really truly embrace reconciliation it's awesome awesome bob uh, really i mean i think this is exactly all of this all of the above is exactly <laughs> 
what um, pastors need to be thinking on. Now, it kind of like in closing, you also see pastors at their most vulnerable because they're typically overwhelmed or um, full of anxiety or doubt about the state of their church and, and all of that. And I know that hearing all of this today might feel overwhelming for a pastor who's kind of in that place. I mean, it feels overwhelming to me and I feel like I'm in a good place. <laughs> so what are, what are some, some advice that you would give to that pastor? What I've always appreciated about your ministry is you always take time to really have heart to hearts with the pastors that you're serving. Apart from all the consultation stuff, you really care about their hearts. What are some things that you would say to that pastor who's listening to this and they're just like, kind of full of all that doubt and anxiety and not sure where to start? First of all, don't fear electronic medium. See it as God-given new communication forms. The good news traveled with pen and papyri at one time. Then it traveled over the radio waves. It traveled first, before that, it traveled through the printed press, printing press, radio waves, television waves. Now it's communicating. Don't fear this. You went into church because you like tradition, you like the way things, steadfastness of way things done the whole same way. That's not what church is only about. It's also about seeing how God is moving through new mediums. Use and embrace this medium. Number two, don't be afraid to make mistakes and be lousy. Just be doing it. I, I rarely hear people say, well, that church did a poor worship service. What they say is that church doesn't offer anything electronically. People will tolerate a lot of, of, of poor presentation, more than people think. The old boomer idea that you had to everything had to be perfect and look good is not really what the younger generation wants. They want authenticity. I talked about in a book called Inside the Organic Church. They say we want to be natural, warts and all. So just get out there, warts and all, and begin to use this medium. Secondly, don't let it change your theology. Don't change your from orthodoxy just because unorthodox people are using it. Unorthodox people use pen and papyri. We definitely have all of the different writings from the ancient times that weren't Christian writings, but Paul still used pen and papyri. We still have the same thing with the printing press. It was used for many times world dominate, world domination, creating starting wars, but it was also used to put the Bible in the hands of the people. So don't push away this medium, embrace it, but be careful not to let it change the people in it to change your orthodoxy. Hold on fast to that. And with that, as you start to embrace it, you'll increase little by little. It's a wonderful potential because there's millions of people around the world that can now watch your service, can now connect with you, have a counseling time with you, discuss your faith with you. Your, your, your uh, you know, field that you're reaching out to that's ripe for harvest now just exponentially expanded. So now's the time to get out there and sow the seed and God will bring the increase. Well, there's a reason we keep having him back. Dr. Bob Weitzel, <laughs> uh, really appreciate, Bob, your time with us. This is so such important stuff. And, and once again, uh, if people haven't, if this is their first time kind of hearing about you and everything, what's the best way for them to follow you and all of your work going on? 
Sure. Leadership.church. That's the website. Leadership.church. My goal is, as a professor of leadership, is to help leaders be more effective leading today. Not leading how they led yesterday and not even leading how they led, you know, back when they were in submit. Leading today. Leadership.church. From there, they can. there's a whole bunch of little menu. They can click on churchleadership.wiki, which is all the different articles that I found that are helpful to pastors. There's churchleadership.university. That's a great place to go because they can actually have me teaching uh, uh, to their staffs. And it's very inexpensive. And uh, they can have me teach church growth to their staff for 15-minute little segments, church leadership to their staff for 15-minute little videos. And they have lifetime access to this once they purchase that. And so uh, churchleadership.university. That's the thing that's really exploding right now as people want to know how to lead tomorrow's church. That's my goal to figure out how and to help pastors go out and do it. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time today, Bob. God bless you. And uh, we will catch you next time. Okay. Thanks for having me again. God bless you, gentlemen. And thanks for all you're doing. Well, Jason, it's always fun to have Bob on with us. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, he's got so much great content and uh, ideas for the church and uh, clearly a deep passion to see the church thrive in whatever the future brings, whatever tomorrow brings. And so I'm glad that he's been able to help us wrestle with that today. And I don't know, what any takeaways that you're kind of focusing on as we kind of wrap up our time? Yeah, and I think it's a takeaway. I was just reassured of something I've been thinking about for a while, and that is we might be paralyzed, you know, especially as he kind of ended talking about racial reconciliation. You know, we might be paralyzed by it's just such a huge topic. It seems so like what what difference can we make? Where do I even get started? There's so much to do. And I know pastors think about this, not just with that topic, but you know, just church revitalization. There's, it's a target-rich environment, right? And, and I think my takeaway is just pick, pick one, pick a target, do something, warts and all, right? It does not have to be the perfect end-all, be-all. I'm writing a book series on this great idea that I have. It's just, can we start by doing something, getting some forward movement? And, you know, it's a, that old analogy of, of the ship that, you know, it's not going to go anywhere if it's at the dock. You know, you got to you gotta leave the dock and put the sails up and allow the wind to blow in a direction. And you only do that by doing it. And so I mean, that's really, it was a reminder that um, just do something. Yeah. Take a step, see what happens, um, brainstorm with your team, and then have the courage to, to give something a go. And I think really we need that courage. We need to remember, you know, that we are, God called us to this place place in this time. And, um, I think that sometimes I forget that in the midst of all that's going on, that I'm here for a reason. And so are you. And so are each of you listening. You're there in your position, your place, and you have your voice for a reason. So, uh, trust that and, uh, and be willing to just take a step to do something. Yeah, good stuff. All right, everyone. I hope this helps. I hope this is helping you as you navigate change in your churches and know that that we're praying for you. We're rooting for you. And we're all in this together, uh, serving Jesus as best we can in this uh, year that none of us expected. But you know what? We were, again, put here for such a time as this. And so let's trust in that and keep moving forward. All right, everyone. We'll catch you next week. 
Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 